0: Good morning, church. So good to see you You all look lovely this morning. Turn to your neighbor and say, You look good today. I want to say uh, thank you to all of our staff. For those of you who were not here last night, we had uh, our first ever volunteer banquet, and it was a way of our staff being able to say thank you for everything that you guys do to help support this church. It is not just what we do on Monday through Friday, but everything that goes on with your support that this church continues to grow. So it was a small way of being able to say thank you to all of those who have been involved assisting us. And we have a few photos from there. And I just want to let you know how serious we are about being here in this church. Okay, onesies are spiritual. I want to tell you that right now. We had a very, very fun time celebrating with everybody. And I'll tell you what I told the volunteers uh, last night. I hope that we have a banquet again next year, but it's double the size because this church has grown double and the volunteers have grown double in Jesus' name. It was a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful time. Yeah. I was an angry elf. I'm just letting you know. I was an angry elf. (laughs) Also, uh, Maya mentioned it already, but for our Christmas Eve service that we're putting on, in the exact same way that we created those You're Invited to Church business cards, we also have business cards now that are promoting our Christmas Eve service. So grab 10 of them, give them out to your unsaved family members, give them out to your coworkers, give them out to somebody who will need to make it to church on Easter, Easter Christmas morning can you tell where my brain is I did not go to bed until about one o'clock last night because of the volunteer banquet so it's okay I'm a little tired (laughs) I'll let it be also I am a little tired as well Uh, keep my kids in your prayers TJ and Levi caught a horrible horrible chest cold uh, and Levi was up all night and I'm like Levi can I lay with you he was like yeah you can lay with me you can lay with me. Can we pray? And I was like, as long? Yeah, sure, we can pray. Half asleep, and he wants prayer. We're training him right. <laughs> Amen. Also, for our Christmas Eve service, some people have asked, what are we doing with the kids? Are we doing something special with the kids? Well, we're having the Christmas presentation for our kids the week before, like I said, uh, or like uh, Maya said, invite everybody that you can. But for the kids, we're going to keep them in the sanctuary for Christmas Eve. And uh, I I bought toys. So when we dim all the lights and we put these on for the kids, all the Christmas tree lights become a star of Bethlehem. Mhm. So as the lights dim and as we have all of our candles, the kids will be ooh, ah, that's wonderful and they'll be distract- distracted for 5 minutes and then I'll have 5 more minutes to preach. <laughs> If you have your Bibles this morning, why don't you turn with me into the book of Luke. We're going to be in chapter 1 this morning. And we're going to start in verse 26 and go through verse 38. We're going to be starting a new series called Through His Mother's Eyes. And the whole series is supposed to depict the nativity and the Christmas story through the eyes of Mary. This young teenage girl who is experiencing all these miracles for the first time in recorded history. And we think about Jesus. We need Jesus during the holiday season. But there are other people in that story who he affects. And last year we spoke about Joseph's perspective through the book of Matthew. So I thought it would only be appropriate to speak about his mother's perspective as well. Let me ask you this question. Can you recall the first time you saw something you thought was impossible? As a kid, the the first time that I remember thinking that somebody could do the impossible was the first time that I saw my aunts blow a bubble bigger than my head. Also, as a teenager, as I continued to watch TV, I got into shows like Fear Factor and man versus food. Things that uh, you would see the, these impossible feats done by the host or the participants. And you're like, how could they do that? That is something that I could never do. When was the first time that you believed that God could do the impossible? Maybe it was at a, uh, a revival service. Or a concentration during our uh, 21 days of prayer and fasting. Maybe it was during a Christmas or an Easter service, giving yourself back to Jesus. Maybe it was seeing the recovery of an addict after they had given their life to Christ. Or maybe it's salvation in someone that you believe was too far gone. Maybe you were once that person. Do you know that in all these miracles, God, of course, plays a part, but we do as well. Oftentimes, we forget that God uses mankind to participate in his divine plan. And without accepting our part, God's plans would be hindered or delayed sometimes it takes generations of families to come back to Christ because one member said no. Yet when we say yes to God's plan and yes to his purposes for our lives, the impossible can be accomplished. Not the impossible in God's eyes, but the impossible to our world, to our logical world. We live in a world that is run by science, philosophy, and psychology, and if it does not make sense logically, it is impossible. But we serve the God of the impossible, amen? And today we begin our series with Mary's role and her perspective in the Christmas story, doing something for her that would seem impossible, We're going to be in Luke 1, 26 to 38, but I'm just going to concentrate on verse 37 and 38 for right now. It says, of the angel, it says, for no word from God will ever fail. And Mary's response was this, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. Would you bow your heads and hearts with me, And a word of prayer. Father God, we come before you in the mighty name of Jesus. And we thank you for your presence in this place. Help us to understand the Christmas story more through this perspective of this teenager girl. And how, Lord, you had done miracle after miracle after miracle. But this was something new. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hands and feet to respond to your message. In Christ's name. Amen and amen. This is what you need to go home with, okay? Obedience produces faith for the impossible. Obedience produces faith for the impossible. We are in the book of Luke this morning. It is written by the physician himself, and the gospel accomplishes his purpose, which is found in Luke 1, 1 through 4. It is an orderly account of Jesus' ministry, and its purpose is to show Jesus as the Son of Man, an expression that is used for God's appointed Messiah in Daniel 7, and in Ezekiel, it is used 93 times. Essentially, the G- uh, that Jesus is the Savior of all mankind, Jew and Gentile alike. And Luke is writing this down from eyewitness testimony because he wasn't there from the beginning. So he goes and he researches and he goes through the narrative with the apostles, with the 120 in the upper room, with various deacons, with Paul and with Mary, his mother. Before our story today, we go through Luke 1, 5 through 24, which is all about Zachariah and Gabriel. We're going to get more into that. As we speak about our story today. But Gabriel comes with a message from God. That Zechariah's wife Elizabeth is going to bear a son. That is going to be the forerunner or the person before the Messiah to come. And he will prepare the way for the Jewish people to receive the Christ. Zechariah doubts and questions the message. He thinks that it is impossible. And the result is is that he is mute until the birth of his son. And Mary is also going to be receiving a message that would seem impossible. Yet her response to this news is the opposite of Zacharias. Her response should prepare us for any time we fall into doubt or forget to have faith in God. But let's get into it. Obedience produces faith for the impossible. And the first thing that we see is an impossible encounter. An impossible encounter. Luke 1:26 to 26-33. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee... ...to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. We're setting the scene in verses 26 and 27. We're here in Nazareth, a town of 1,500, maybe 2,000 people. This town has no greatness. There is no popular thing about it. But we see Jesus' parents, Joseph, a descendant of David, who adopted Jesus and made him his son, which fell into the Davidic line, and Mary, who is engaged to Joseph, to be engaged in the time of Jesus, was to be betrothed, which means you basically were already married. And for a year long, the husband was preparing the household for you as the bride to be able to come in. So it wasn't like with us where we like, we don't got a wedding date, we don't have this, we don't have that. No, as soon as that betrothal ceremony happened, in a year they would be married. And then all of a sudden this angel ...shows up on the scene and he gives her these greetings of highly favored one and the Lord is with you. And it says in scripture that Mary's reaction is that she is confused and puzzled. Because Mary doesn't come from a great family, she doesn't come from a great status, she is not elevated in any way. So any young person who is being greeted in this way would be confused... Why am I looked on by this spiritual being with such high grace and favor? But the angel was speaking out loud what God had already regarded in her. In the same way, God speaks to you and me. He never looks down on you and me. In fact, he calls you blessed. He also calls you highly favored. He calls you his child He looks at you like a finished product, not the way that you look at yourself in the mirror. The Father sees our potential within, potential that can only be harnessed when we give ourselves fully to him and his plan. And the angel gives a prophecy that she is to give birth to a child and that this child would be the promised Messiah, the son of the most high God, he is the one to rule on David's throne. We talked about it last week that in 2 Samuel chapter 7, when David is being given this word that his throne would be established we automatically think of it as Solomon. But God, what he does is that he completes prophecy right then and there in time, and then he's also speaking into the future about the continual line of David and how Jesus will come through it. We see this promise also in the book of Isaiah. We, we say it all the time in Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. It says, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called. Say it with me, church. Wonderful, counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Amen? Amen. Let's keep going. And of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time forward and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. The message to this teenager is you will be a part of a prophecy that has been thousands of years in the making. Isaiah, Isaiah was, was hearing this only a couple hundred years, but from the beginning of scripture, the promised one has been previewed and pointed out. It started in Genesis. Three fifteen, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers he will crush your head and you will strike his heel and this wounded seed of the woman would begin his journey on this earth through this young woman and it all started with an impossible encounter This story reminds me a lot of the book of 1 Samuel chapter 1 and 2, the story of Hannah and her pleading for a child that she would dedicate again to God. And though their stories are very different in circumstances, both women encountered the God of the impossible Hannah was being told that she would have a son after years of barrenness. And Mary is being told by an angel that she, who is a virgin, will give birth to a savior. One who will be established forever and ever. These encounters seem impossible. But reminder, Matthew nineteen twenty six says this. Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. But church... With God, all things are possible. What are some encounters that you have had with God? What are some promises that he has told you about your life, about your family's life? Are are there dreams? Are there visions? Are there goals that seem impossible? They go against statistics, stereotypes, family status, money situations, Take heart, church, that God will never make a promise that he doesn't intend to keep. In fact, Numbers 23, 19 through 20 says this of God. God is not human that he should lie. Not a human being that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? No, I have received a command to bless. He has blessed and cannot change it. God will do what he says. Do you believe that this morning? So we see the beginnings of an impossible encounter. But then we not only see the impossible encounter, but there is doubt because of impossible circumstances. Luke 1:34 through 37, it says this. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin... I told you guys about the story, behind, uh, the story before this, which is the story of Zechariah. And Zechariah and Mary, they, they kind of look like in our language they're speaking the exact same way. Because Zechariah also has some questions for the angel when he receives the message. And I'm actually going to use the New American Standard for Luke 1.18. Zachariah said to the angel, how will I know of this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in her years. Zechariah, in saying, How will I know of this, needs proof that the word from God was greater than the evidence of his circumstances. Yet, Zechariah has the scriptures, which has told us again and again of women in their old age suffering from barrenness and receiving miracle children, starting with Sarah and Isaac. And yet, He still doubts a man who is a priest in the center of God's presence at that time. How many of us ask for proof from God rather than trusting in his word? Make the fleece wet and the ground dry. Make the ground wet and the fleece dry. We're a bunch of Gideons saying that we're spiritual. How many of us trust our evidence in our circumstances that have nothing to do with a miraculous God? Mary, on the other hand, is asking in humility. She wants to know because unlike Zachariah's circumstances, this has never happened before. Virgins don't have babies. There is no previous thing like, let me look it up in my book. This has not happened. It's only been promised. You know, we've all had the talk, or in health class, you know, when a mom and dad love each other very much. So this hasn't happened. Nobody, no young lady without a partner can make a child together. So she's asking in humility for knowledge that she has never seen. She's never known. She doesn't doubt God. She just wants how the process is going to go. Because she also has to tell a few people, like her husband. He's like, I'm so ready to get married. I'm building this house and everything. What is that bump? Because last time I checked, when we look in Matthew, Joseph was trying to divorce her quietly Even though she spoke the truth, he had to have a divine encounter himself for him to have faith. It says in verse 35 that the spirit would overshadow Mary. And this is to envelop in a cloud of God's presence. That is literally the illustration. And it takes us to an Old Testament concept in the book of Exodus chapter 24. Do we have that picture? Do we have that picture? There we go. When the people of Israel first make a covenant with God and say, yes, we agree to all the terms and we agree to uh, to everything. We want to be your covenant people. Then God says, Moses, I'm going to say out loud who I am. I'm going to have my presence rest on the mountain in cloud and in fire. And in Exodus 24, at the end of the chapter, Moses goes in to commune with God. And it's not just Moses who goes into communion with God with for, for 40 days and 40 nights, but the priests and the leaders see when Moses is coming up that there is a figure in the cloud already waiting for him. Moses is being overshadowed and overfilled, overflown, and so is that mountain with the presence of God. And that same presence is going to overshadow Mary to flip the impossible circumstances into a miracle. And the evidence of this, he says, you want to know what? Not only will I tell you how the process goes, I'll give you something to back it up because you probably don't know this. Elizabeth, your cousin, is six months pregnant. Despite the natural laws, despite the science, and despite the logic, God's word still comes to pass why because verse 37 and I'm saying it out of the King James for with God nothing shall be impossible when Moses is at the edge of the Red Sea and the people of Israel are questioning him what does he say we're in big trouble guys no that is not what he says In Exodus 14, he says this, And Moses answered the people, Do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance of the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you will see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. Moses faced impossible circumstances because he had a sea on one side and an army behind him. If he looked at the impossible circumstances, Israel would have fallen. But he said, no. Our God is going to deliver us because he is the God of the impossible. Amen? Amen. Church, we need to remember that Jesus can do the impossible. He's already done the impossible. He saved us. What could be more impossible? Jesus already came as a babe. He was raised. He lived a sinless life. He died on a cross so that you and me can have fellowship with God. You and I were created in the image and the likeness of God, but because our own pride and man's ego, sin had separated us from him. And we could not redeem ourselves. It was a price that we could not pay. But instead of God saying, oh, well, start again, he said, no, I want them. I will redeem them back and I will put myself in flesh to see it be done so. Through an impossible encounter and impossible circumstances, Jesus came so that we could have relationship with God again. Do you believe that this morning, church? Do you believe that our God is the God of the impossible? Do you believe it for your own circumstances, not what it just says in the book? Do you believe it For the things that you think are impossible right now that you haven't received answer and clarity for because he has an answer and he has the clarity. All you need to do is ask in faith and believe. Obedience produces faith for the impossible because all of this would have been really good, but... If Mary didn't believe and obey. If Mary didn't believe and obey, God's plan would have been hindered or delayed. It would have to be moved to the next person. And some people ask the question, why was it Mary? I don't know. I'm not God. But what I do know is that when God picks a partner... To be able to do something for him. He understands their heart condition. And their willingness to be righteous in his presence. So not only do we have an impossible encounter. Not only do we have impossible circumstances. But Mary shows some impossible obedience. Luke 1, 38, It says this. I am the lord's servant. Mary answered, "May your word to me be fulfilled." And the angel left her. Joe, if you can start making your way forward. Mary's response was I am willing to be used by God. Plain and simple. I want you guys to look at me. I don't want you guys to look at Joe unlocking his guitar case. All of you guys just went like this. Oh, he has a guitar. God is speaking to you this morning. Okay, the guitar case is not speaking to you. Mirame. Okay. She said, I am willing to be used by God, even though it has never happened. Even though there is nothing great about me, and even though I may not understand it, if God says it will happen, it will happen. Mary could have seen her circumstances like Jeremiah did. In Jeremiah 1.6, he says, Alas, sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak because I am too young. That's what Jeremiah says. Hey, I know that you have called me, and and yeah, I'm pretty willing, but I do not know how to speak. I'm just a boy. But what does God respond in verses 7 and 8? But the Lord said to me, do not say I am too young. You must go to everyone I send you and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. Honestly, between you and me, how many of us would have had the same faith as Mary? How many of us would have been willing to uh, accept this unconventional prophecy? How many of us would have said, Lord, yeah, I'm willing, I'm able to do whatever you please? In church, how many of you have the Lord revealed something in private? Through his word, through his Holy Spirit, through a pastor or through a prophet, in prayer and in meditation, and then you think, God, not me. I am too this. I am too broken. I am not qualified. I do not deserve it. It is a privilege that's too high for me. I rebuke that doubt in Jesus' name. Because it does not come from God. It comes from your flesh and the enemy trying to hinder you from the purposes that God has for you. But some people say for others, yeah, go ahead, do it. Bless them. Give them all the grace that they need. But I'm too broken to be used as a vessel. But last time I checked, all God uses was broken vessels. Abraham was imperfect. David was a murderer. Solomon, he was loose. (laughs) That's the best way I can be able to say it. Yet God blessed them. Because of their faith and the obedience that he was allowed to use them in time. And how much more will he bless you and me? How much with hindsight in six months from now or in a year from now can we say, look what the Lord has done. If every single day we decide to surrender our lives and ourselves to him. May we be reminded of the words of the rabbi Gamaliel. In Acts 5, 38 through 39, this is what he says. He says, therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God... But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourself fighting against God. A Jewish rabbi, one who was probably there at Jesus' trial a few months ago, one who was probably among the witnesses, one who did not believe in Jesus as the truth, said, If this is from God, nobody will stop it. He understood that any act and any promise and any prophecy that comes from above will be accomplished. Joe, you can play. (laughs) In our Wednesday night Bible studies, we've been going through this theme called the test. We started it again this week. And I've said this this week a few times and I have no idea why, but I think this is why. We have the image or we have the picture up there and the test pretty much is that you have two doors. One that is blessed of God and one that is from the enemy. Trusting God ...is walking through the door that is on fire... ...that he says walk through. The number one thing that humans will do... ...is preserve themselves from being hurt. So if something from God... ...if a word from the Lord says you are supposed to do this... ...and you are supposed to walk through this door comes about. If the door is on fire, it doesn't matter if it came from God. We tried to protect ourselves. And the door that is from the enemy looks so good. It looks like green pastures and fields. It looks like peace and tranquility. But God is telling you, as he did with Moses, to walk through the fire and to trust him. Because if we trust God to walk through the fiery door, the only thing that will be burned is our sin and our flesh nature, and we will be refined by fire with our weight worth more than gold. But are you willing to walk through the fire? Everybody says yes. In a service like this. I want to pray for the day after the service like this. Day two, day three, day four. Because that, that is when we say, how can this be? Are you ready to walk through the fire this morning, church? Are you ready to believe in his promises? Has he called you to believe in the redemption of your children? Has he called you to believe in the redemption of your marriage? Has he called you to give everything that you are to him? Complete and absolute surrender. It is a difficulty that every day of our lives, sometimes moment to moment, we have to say, God, I have to surrender to you because in the next moment, our heart will not be able to receive the seed. We'll receive it now and a moment later, we'll get upset with somebody in the parking lot on our way back home. Food isn't ready When we need it because we're really hungry, and all of a sudden our heart changes and our attitude changes, and this seed is picked up by the enemy or it falls on hard ground and there's no root that can be there. In Jesus' name, be open to his promises because they will never fail. Let's stand.